we're going to talk this this month about making room. Let, let me say this before we get into the to the message. Uh, some of you have never, I mean, some of you have never come to hear Bishop Jamie Englehart or Lynn Howes. If you're if this is your church and I'm your pastor, uh, I would ask you to try. It, with all of your ability <laughs> to be here for those services. Jamie's just going to be here one service in the morning and one service in the evening. He has ministered to people in this church um, through prophecy that has made a huge difference, and he's very very much impacted um, our lives. Can I tell you this? I don't believe, I don't swallow everything that Bishop Englehart or Lynn Howes puts out there, and they probably don't swallow everything that I put out there, and that's okay. We're still brothers and sisters. They've challenged me, and it's caused me to grow as I've expanded my territory and opened my things up to say, hmm, well, I never saw it like that before. Let me dig into that, uh, and I believe that it would help you do the same uh, if you would come out uh, and listen to those two fellas. Do uh, you know that they always ask us, um, is there something you would like us to minister on? Is there something you want us to avoid? And uh, there's things that sometimes we tell them we want them to avoid, and sometimes this is the way God's been flowing, and, and they are very receptive to that, and that's what I like uh, about them. They're not here to hurt us. They're here to help us. So um, mark that down, January 23rd, and then the weekend of April 22nd through the 24th, which is the weekend after Easter, okay? So you've, we've been singing some songs about the blood this morning. We want to talk about today making room for the blood. Can I get an amen? And when I say the blood this morning, when I break it down uh, and just say the blood, I'm not talking about any blood. I'm talking about the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary. Uh, now, the blood of Jesus accomplished what we could never accomplish for ourselves. Uh, we could not extract ourselves from the bondage of sin. I mean, people in the Old Covenant were doing it for centuries, for ages. They were trying to extract themselves from the bondage of sin by keeping a rule or a, or a law uh, that could never save them. We cannot reconcile, they could not reconcile themselves to God. But because the blood of Jesus still speaks, we have been reconciled. Can you get an amen out of anybody right there? You have been reconciled. And then Paul goes on to say, now be reconciled to God. The blood speaks of who we are and what we have in this new covenant. Uh, I, I don't know what kind of church you grew up in. But by a nod of a head or a raise of a hand, I grew up in the, a church that pled the blood. Anybody grow up in a church that would plead the blood? I plead the blood of Jesus. The pastor David Bess, you could hear him say the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. Pleading the blood of Jesus. Now, pleading the blood of Jesus is not begging God to do something. Because he's already done it. It is not a statement of fear or unbelief. Pleading the blood is activating what happened through the blood of Jesus at the cross. It's activating in us what Jesus' blood has already purchased for us. 
It is a statement of faith about what has already happened. Is anybody awake? The blood of Jesus has already been shed. It has already won the victory. So when we plead the blood, we're activating uh, the blood and the power that is in the blood for what has already been purchased and bought for us. Take your Bibles and go to Hebrews, the 12th chapter with me. Hebrews is full of um, Paul going back and forth and comparing the Old Covenant and the new, to, uh, the new Covenant. And when he compares the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, a comparison and contrasting throughout the whole book, he's going to get to the point where he begins to compare the blood of, the of goats and bulls in the Old Testament with the blood of Jesus in the New Testament. And I want us to go to chapter 12. Let's start in Hebrews the 12th chapter. If it's, all, if it's all right, I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture today because it is going to lay a groundwork for us that we need to have uh, in order to understand. Verse 24 of chapter 12. And we have come. That's, that's present tense. We're not going to come. We have come to Jesus who established a new covenant Somebody say new. This is a new year. This was a new covenant. And this covenant is with his blood sprinkled upon the mercy seat. And that blood continues to speak from heaven. Why does it speak from heaven? I'm going to show you that today. And it speaks a better message than Abel's blood that cries out from the earth. And I'll show you why that. And here's what... Abel's blood is crying out, justice and vengeance is mine. That's what the blood of Abel would speak from the ground, the earth. But the blood of Jesus is a better message that speaks from heaven, and it doesn't cry out for vengeance. This is on the screen, put it in your notes, make a, a mental note of it. In the Old Covenant, the blood of animals was sprinkled upon the mercy seat in the temple once a year. Make note of that. How often was it done? Once a year. Now, that was for atonement of the sins of the people for the year. But there were also sin offerings that had to be uh, made daily because people sinned daily. Isn't it amazing that they would kill the blood of an animal and take it into the temple, the tabernacle, which was... Um, a replica or a model of what was in heaven. God showed Moses the three courts, outer court, inner court, most holy place, Ark of the Covenant behind the veil, the mercy seat. Uh, Darius, come here just a second, please. So the mercy seat was two cherubims. Put your arms up. Two angels, and in the middle was the mercy seat. Thank you. And the, the high priest would go in once a year and he would take the blood of that animal and he would sprinkle it on that mercy seat so that when God, see the Shekinah glory of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies uh, between the cherubims. And so when God looked at the ark, he saw the blood. The priest did that once a year, but there were daily sacrifices being made for individual sins. If you sinned, there were certain sacrifices that had to be made. This is my opinion, but I believe it's scripturally uh, formed. 
that that's why people in their minds have categories of sins and they would say, well, this sin deserves this and if I would name something, well, a homosexual deserves this because that's got to be a greater sin. Maybe under the old covenant. And that blood had to be shed once a year and then daily for individual sins. But thank God in the new covenant, the blood of Jesus was sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven and it was done once for all. Say once. For all. It's a done deal. It's a finished work. He does not have to go yearly back into the temple because if he did, then his blood is just as common as the blood of goats and bulls. But it's a better blood, Hebrews tells us, with a better message, and it's still crying out. Cain killed Abel. And the scripture tells us that Abel's blood cries out from the ground. It's speaking for vengeance. But Jesus took all of that at the cross, and that's why God says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Why? Because He took all of that vengeance at the cross through the shed blood of Jesus, and there is no more vengeance is mine. It's, a, it's, it's cleared up. Now, I know why people say that. I know why people would say, Well, you want justice. There was an injustice done to you, and you want vengeance. But because of the blood of Jesus, we say that vengeance said... God said vengeance was his, but that's a done deal. He's not seeking out vengeance on anyone anymore because Jesus already took it all. Isn't that good? Now, let's stay in Hebrews, but jump back to the ninth chapter. Just going to teach a little bit this morning because we need to make room for the blood in 2022. Uh, There's not much preaching on the blood. Matter of fact, some mainline denominations over the last 10 years have taken out. They've told their general assemblies, don't preach on the blood, don't mention the blood, and take all of the blood out of the hymn books because it's too militant. Can I tell you something? That without the blood of Jesus, we have no righteousness. We're still going to have to try to work it out on our own. But because of what Jesus did by shedding his blood at the cross, I love what the song said, that when I was in sin, even then, he poured out his blood for me. Hmm. Thank God for the blood. Now, let's go to the seventh verse of Hebrews, the ninth chapter. The high priest, now we're talking about the old covenant. Remember, if you look at Hebrews, this is a constant comparing and contrasting between the old covenant and the new covenant. Now he's going to compare the high priest, and he says, the high priest was permitted to enter into the holiest sanctuary of all only once a year, and he could never enter without first offering sacrificial blood for both his own sins and for the sins of the people. So the blood of the animal that was being shed was also cleansing the high priest of his sins. He would go through ceremonial, ceremonial washings. He would uh, uh, just take himself away. He would get into seclusion for seven days before going. He wouldn't touch certain things. He wouldn't eat certain things. And why he was trying to cleanse himself so that he could be worthy to go into that uh, tabernacle holy of holies beyond the veil to put the blood on the mercy seat for the atonement of the people verse 8 now so that was then verse 8 now the holy spirit uses the symbols of this pattern of worship to reveal that the perfect way of holiness had not yet been unveiled 
So he was beginning in this transitional period, he's beginning to unveil, but not completely unveil until Jesus had come, that that wasn't going to be what did it for the people. That was a constant action. There was constant motion, but never obtained holiness or cleansing for the people. For as long as the tabernacle stood, so uh, we know on this side in 70 AD that the tabernacle was destroyed, and the reason that the tabernacle had to be destroyed in 70 AD was to bring a complete and utter stop to all of that old system. Because if a tabernacle still stood, do you know what would be going on in the tabernacle today? They would still be shedding the blood of animals that was not going to make them holy or perfect or remove their sins. Because that blood was only good enough, so if, if I sinned today and I went to the, to, the, to the temple and I had bought a lamb and I took the lamb in and the priest slaughtered the lamb and, and that was a blood sacrifice for my sin, but I went out and I sinned again tomorrow, guess what I was going to have to do? Now help me. Uh, listen to me. The blood of Jesus is better than the blood of animals. They went in once a year and sometimes daily, but he went in once and for all. For all sins, for all people, one time. Verse 9. This was an illustration that pointed to our present time of fulfillment demonstrating that offerings and animal sacrifices, watch this, had failed to perfectly cleanse the conscience of a worshiper. Do you know what your conscience is? Does it ever irk you? The enemy will fight you in your conscience mind and try to get you to dwell on your sin. That's why I've, Lisa and I have been trying to help people to get rid of sin-conscious mentality and have a sun-conscious mentality. If you have a sin-conscious mentality, you will walk in a pattern. You will get into a lifestyle of always feeling guilty in your conscience. The enemy will attack you even about thoughts, things that you should have done, didn't do, aren't doing, and then he will lead you into redoubling your efforts to work and able to try to cleanse your conscience. But Christ came, verse 11. Can I get any shouts? Christ came, and he came as high priest of better things to come. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. He's talking about the temple in heaven. That is not of this creation. It wasn't built here on the earth. It was his creation in heaven. Verse 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered into the most holy place in heaven once and for all. Now here's what happened because he did that. Uh, he obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more, somebody say more, <laughs> the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, here it is, to cleanse your conscience. 
What they were doing in the Old Testament did not cleanse their conscience. But what Jesus did when he shed his blood and took his blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat in heaven, it does cleanse our conscience. What does it cleanse our conscience from? Those dead works to serve a living God. Old covenant, dead works. New covenant, living God. Verse 15, and for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Because of what he did, you have an eternal inheritance. If you would go on to read this, you will find out as he compares and contrasts that in the old covenant there was a testament given, a will, and it was sprinkled with hyssop and blood, what Moses did in Leviticus. And Jesus, who is the mediator of this new covenant, and this is his will for his children, and he died as the testator of that will, and shed his blood, sprinkled that testament with his blood, and then he rose again, and he sit, sits at the right hand of the Father, and he is making sure that we get all of our eternal inheritance, which, folks, is good enough to begin to receive and walk in right now. You don't have to wait till you die. So listen to this statement. Let it sink in. God is not and has never been bloodthirsty. I mean, there's a lot of religions that have a bloodthirsty God requiring human sacrifice, sometimes even the sacrifice of your own children. You have to understand that when Abraham, who came out of a pagan religion, and he's learning from this God that he did not know, and God tells him, this is his thought pattern, to offer his own son, I don't believe that God would ever require the blood of your children. So help me somebody. He used it as an example to show us, as we could use examples from Marvel movies, from Disney movies. He was showing us a type and shadow, a pattern of what Christ, the Son, the Lamb of God, was going to come and do with his blood. God has never been and will never be bloodthirsty. Can I tell you that God did not beat up his son? Listen to what Isaiah says. We esteemed him stricken and smitten by God. It doesn't say that God struck him and beat him up. It says we esteemed him. In other words, we thought that God beat him up because we deserved a beating. God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to himself. This was the plan from the beginning, and God the Father and God the Son did not vary from the plan. So I have a question. Did Jesus forgive the sins of people before shedding his blood at the cross? Answer. Yes, I have scripture for it. You ready? Here's two scriptures and there's others. Jesus did forgive sins before the blood. Why are you telling, before he shed his blood, why are you telling me that? 
Because I'm telling you that the blood was not to appease God. The blood was to appease your conscience. God never required blood. Because if God required blood, then Jesus could not have forgiven sins before shedding his blood. Does that make sense? Mark the second chapter, verse number five. The four crazy guys carry their friend to Jesus. And when they get to the house, there's no room. So they made room. They got creative. They went up on the roof. They lowered their friend down into the room where Jesus was. And the scripture says in verse 5 that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Think of it. Jesus had the audacity to go against the law because the law of the old covenant said that without the shedding of blood, there was no remission or forgiveness of sins. But Jesus forgives. And then in Luke, the seventh chapter, there's a woman who comes to Simon's house and she lets down her hair, pours out an expensive bottle of perfume, cries tears over Jesus' feet, dries them with her hair, and and the men get stirred up. Well, this bottle could have been sold and given to the poor. And Jesus said to those that were there, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't dry them with a towel when I got here. And he looked at the woman and he said, Daughter, verse 48, your sins are forgiven. Isn't it amazing that Jesus was forgiving sins before he went to the cross? Only God has the power to forgive sins. Even the Pharisees knew that. So what Jesus was saying is, I am God. Wow. <laughs> the blood in the old covenant was for the, sh- the shedding of blood was for the remission of the sins of the people. And so how and why could Jesus forgive sins before shedding his blood? Because, again, the blood was not shed to appease the Father. The blood was shed to appease our conscience, just as Romans, the ninth chapter, laid out for you, and I hope that you could see it. We used to sing an old song in church. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood, in the blood of the Lamb. So if there's power in the blood, how do we explain the reality of the effects of the blood in the present? That's a good question. Anyone ever wondered if there's power in the blood and that blood was shed over 2,000 years ago, what is the reality of the power of Jesus in our present? First Peter, the first chapter, verses 18 through 20 says this. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. In other words, Peter is saying that you were not redeemed by being bought with silver or gold or even by keeping the law that your fathers had passed down to you as a tradition. But you have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. As a, of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained from the foundations of the world, but was manifested, and I love this, in these last times for you. Peter 
said that the days when Jesus came and shed his blood for the redemption of mankind was the last days. So why are men still crying out, these are the last days? Those were the last days of the end of the age of the old covenant where the blood of goats and bulls was going to be shed once a year for the sins of the people because Jesus came to shed his blood once and for all that was going to stop that old covenant. Now, can I just go off on a rabbit trail real quick? This is what I believe. You don't have to believe it, and please don't quit coming to church because I believe this. I don't believe there has to be another temple built. For the fulfillment of end of days. The fulfillment of end of ages or days was when Christ came and shed his blood. It was a transitional period from the old covenant into the new covenant that completely was stopped in 70 AD. The temple was destroyed. Jesus said that it had to be destroyed and there wouldn't be one stone left unturned. And Titus unmined all of the gold. Josephus speaks of this in Uh, His writings of history, the Romans hired him to write that. If you would go to Israel with us, even the Jews in Israel will show you a movie and tell you that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. It's never been rebuilt and there's not been the sacrifice of animals for the remission of sin for over 2,000, longer than that, 70 AD. The timetable for the return of Christ is not based upon an old covenant system being reinstated because the only reason that the Jews would want to build another temple was to be reordain animal sacrifice. Only reason. That does not have to be done. That does not need to be done. Everyone needs to see that Jesus shed his blood once and for all for Jew and Gentile alike. The blood of Jesus is what redeems us. That's a good place to clap your hands and say amen. The reality then is that Jesus has come. He lived. He died. He lived a sinless life. He shed his blood for us. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. He applied the blood, his blood, to the Holy of Hol- in the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat there. And now that blood, as Andre Crouch wrote, still has power. It has never lost its power. The reality of the blood of Jesus is that it still has power and it still speaks today. The blood of Jesus still covers us. Exodus 12th chapter, verse 13 says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Thank God that Psalm 91, it will not come nigh my dwelling, because Uncle Buddy Robinson said, If the devil wants to get to me, he'll have to come through the blood, and by the time he gets to me, he'll be calling me brother. He's a defeated foe. The blood of Jesus protects you. The blood of Jesus still cleanses. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Now what this alludes to in the Greek here is that Jesus, and we know it because Hebrews says it, shed his blood once and for all. But that one act that took place on the cross has residual and continuing effects that now it still cleanses. 
In 1 John 1, 9, it says if we confess our sins one time, that's a one time, that Greek word there literally means that you've confessed and believed one time. He's faithful. He's just. He cleanses. Do you see all the work that he's doing there? There's nothing for us to do once we've believed other than to flow with the Spirit, obey what the Spirit tells us to do, receive the benefits of heaven, and the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us of all of our sins. A-L-L, all. I know people have a very hard time. See, I'll get ahead of myself. The blood still cures. It covers, it cleanses, it cures. There's healing in the blood of Jesus. 1 Peter 2.24 He who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree and by whose stripes you are healed. That language says that you're healed. Well, I have sickness in my body. The confession does not change. If there's symptoms or there's no symptoms, the confession stays the same, that by His stripes we are healed. But, Pastor, I'm sick. I have symptoms in my body. You continue to say, and you continue to walk in, your spirit man is whole. May the same that may the spirit begin to manifest into the physical so that the symptoms leave that by his stripes you are already healed. Those stripes are not reapplied to the back of Jesus anytime that you need healing. It was a work that was completed once and for all, and it has ongoing effects. The blood has not lost its power, it still heals today. The blood of Jesus gives you power to access the Father. Hebrews 2, 10, 19 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. How do we go into the holy place where the Father is? Because of the blood of Jesus. He's reconciled us to God so that there's no fear. Uh, it's a very... Let me say, I don't know how to, I want to say this politically correctly. <laughs> no preaching, no teaching, no sharing, no testifying that puts an emphasis on scaring people from two year old to 200 year olds is the gospel. There, I said it. Can't be. Because fear does not bring forth repentance. Now, time out. I know that there have been times when people were scared out of their wits and they made bold statements like, God, if you get me out of this, I'll, I'll, I'll serve you the rest of my life. And sometimes it stuck. It took. It stuck. Stuck and tuck. Took. That's stuck. <laughs> Glad you can laugh with me. I know that there's been times when presentations of um, a hell house or a judgment house have caused people to make a decision. But all in all, when it's all said and done, fear does not bring men to repentance. It's not what the Bible says. It's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. And you know what his goodness was? <laughs> I can't. I began to weep this morning when I sang the lyrics that when I was in sin, 
Can I get anybody to testify? Even then, he shed his blood for me. The blood still conquers. It overcomes. Revelation 12, 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimonies, and they did not love their lives till death. We overcome by the blood. We still have conquering power because of the blood of Jesus. The Bible is a book about the blood of Jesus. It flows from Genesis to Revelation and mentions it over 3,000 times. It's mentioned in the scriptures. The only remedy for a sin-filled conscience and the only antidote for the curse is the sacrificial blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to get too deep, but there are, and I'm not going to go into them this morning, and there are a lot of different mainline denominations and church affiliations that would have different atonement theories. They would believe, uh, for instance, that it was... Um, Penal substitution, that's an atonement theory. Penal substitution means that we deserved punishment, so God punished Jesus on our behalf. That is an atonement theory. This is my atonement theory, and I believe that it matches up Scripture, and I would ask you to dig into it and find it out for yourself, but I believe in a priestly sacrifice atonement theory. The priestly sacrifice was that Jesus, Hebrews tells us, is our high priest, and John said that he was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Let me ask you this question. I've said it before. Maybe it's good for review. Why did Jesus have to go down into the Jordan River to be baptized? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Because John's baptism was unto repentance. Did Jesus need to repent of anything? He was sinless, correct? So why did he go into the water for a, repentant, uh, a baptism unto repentance? He wasn't being baptized unto repentance. You know, John said, you need to be baptizing me. I don't need to be baptizing you. I believe that John the Baptist had to baptize Jesus because he was the last Levitical priest. And that priesthood was about to change. And Jesus stepped into the water not only as the Lamb of God, but as the high priest. Remember I told you that the high priest had to be ceremonially washed and cleansed. So he took the action of the old covenant high priest and was ceremonially washed in the water at the Jordan River. But he also, the lamb that was to be sacrificed, had to be ceremonially washed in the water. So he went ahead as the Lamb of God and both the priest, and he was ceremonially cleansed to fulfill the law. And then as the high priest, he offered himself a sacrifice. No man took his life, he said. I lay my life down. So as the high priest, he laid himself down as the Lamb of God, and therefore it is a priestly sacrifice atonement theory. So don't be cheated out of the benefits by redefining or explaining away the covenant that Christ made with his blood. Frank, if you would come. I think this is funny but it's really serious at the same time. In 2022, as you make room for the blood, don't take a mixed drink approach. <laughs> you like that one? Don't take a mixed drink approach. Luke 22:20 20 says that on the night he was betrayed, in the same manner he took the cup after the meal, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which will be poured out for you. 
So when he lifted up that covenant, that cup of a new covenant, it wasn't a mixed drink. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying it wasn't part old covenant and part new covenant. It was going to be a complete fulfillment, a change of the priesthood, and by necessity a change in the law, Hebrews 7.12 says. And so when he lifted up that cup and it, it, he was about to shed that blood, his blood, then it was going to be a brand new covenant with no mixture in it. Don't cheat yourself out of the benefits of the covenant or try to redefine what God was trying to say. There is so many bartenders standing behind pulpits in America today offering mixed drinks. Think about it. They're going to spend 35, 25 minutes probably telling you how bad the world is and how bad you are and what you need to do to make yourself right. Oh, but Jesus is good and he died for you. Except him. I don't have to tell you about how bad the world is. If I am confronted with a sin issue, I'm not going to preach this to the sin that is already visible. I'm going to preach to the sun that is in there to pull that sun. Because God sent Jesus to shed his blood to cleanse our conscience of sinful we've just been so sin conscience conscious and we need to know that um, see what happens with this mixed drink preaching um, Paul tells Timothy that these false preachers and false prophets have cauterized the flow of blood to the mind that's what he said he said, they have seared your conscience like a hot iron and cauterized the flow of blood. And when they cauterize the flow of blood and we don't make room for the blood, do you know what comes out? A mixed drink preaching that's full of sin consciousness. I'm not here to sear your conscience with a hot iron and preach any type of mixture. I'm here to present Jesus and His blood. You have been bought with the price of the precious blood of Jesus. And what Jesus was saying in Luke 22 was, My blood will be the settling of the matter. Think of it. He was telling these guys, I'm going to settle the matter. You're not going to have to work your fingers to the bone. You're not going to have to continually make sacrifices. And in John 19.30, as he hung, hangs on the cross, he cries out, It is finished. His blood had been spilled out. The new covenant had been cut. It settled the matter. And it was a finished work that still has power today. That is a good place to clap. Amen. <laughs> Because of the blood of Jesus, sin no longer is an issue. I didn't say that people aren't sinning. I didn't say that I was perfect and I don't sin. But I did say that the sin issue has been eradicated. And there is no expiration date on the blood of Christ. <laughs> That's a good statement right there. There is no expiration date on His blood. Because of the blood of Jesus, we have assets. 
We have authority. And we have an abundant supply of all that we would ever need in this life. Would you stand with me this morning? This is where I'll wrap it up. Because of the blood of Jesus, we have covenant oneness with the Father. So that when the Father looks out of heaven at you and I, He only sees the Son because of the blood. You are hidden in Christ because of His blood. And that gives us a guarantee that the Father will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Because Timothy says that it is impossible for God to forsake or to deny Himself. He made an oath. He swore. God swore to God and made an oath with Himself. And that covenant will not be broken. Would you make room for Jesus in 2022 and only drink from the cup of His blood? Poured out for you and I. Take communion as often as you can. And when you do it, do it in remembrance of the blood that was spilled out for you. That still cleanses, that still conquers, that still covers and still cures. Thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary. Thank you if that blood has not lost its power. Thank you that we can still hear the blood speaking from heaven. We don't hear the blood of Abel crying out from the ground. We, have a, we hear a better message that comes from the realms of glory. From the tabernacle in heaven. The mercy seat himself speaks of a better blood with a better message. With better promises. <laughs> and we're excited about that as we make room for the blood of Jesus in 2022 we're not going to make it a common thing mm, thank you Jesus anyone under the sound of my voice in person or online that would make the confession this morning that even though my body is hurting and I have symptoms by his stripes I am healed would you just lift your hands and begin to receive your healing this morning wherever your ailment is in your body with one hand lifted towards heaven and the other hand on the part of your body that hurts this morning, just begin to stay out loud. By your stripes and through your blood, I am healed. This year as I make room for the blood, by your stripes, I am healed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Sing one verse or chorus there as we just wait on the Lord and see what he wants to do. Oh, the 